Welcome to All Things Mental Health in Black. This is your host, Brittany Hall, licensed professional counselor. I hope you're ready for today's episode. This is our first Things to Consider episode. I don't know if you've listened to all my episodes thus far, if you already know what this is, but my Things to Consider episode is kind of like my Ask Brittany And so the listeners are able to write in to me and I'm going to read the questions out loud right now and provide answers. So this is a segment that will be reoccurring. Um, And so every few episodes, as I get questions coming in, I'll be able to do a things to consider episode where I'll answer your questions on the podcast. Uh, The way you can write to me is... You can go to All Things Mental Health in Black, um, my Facebook page, Instagram page, Twitter. Uh, you can also email me at allthingsmentalhealthinblack at gmail.com. Uh, please note in there whether you want to be anonymous or not. You can also do um, like make up a name or things like that. It is entirely up to you, but those are the ways that you can write to the show. So we do have a few people who reached out, which I'm excited about. Thank you for your questions, everyone. My hope is that after this episode, my listeners will kind of get an understanding of how it goes, how beneficial it could be, and I'll get more questions coming in for the next time that I do this. And so let's just go ahead and dive right in. We're going to take this off the stand. This is easier. So we're just going to go ahead and dive right on in with our first question. Um, I'm going to pull up the question so that I can read it verbatim to you all. Okay. So our first question is, hello, Ms. Hall. I have a question that I would like for you to answer on your podcast. My question is, How can essential workers that work in hospitals and nursing home settings deal with the guilt of having to choose between their own safety over the care of their patients? Example, some nurses had to quit their jobs because of fear of catching COVID and some nursing home workers have taken a leave of absence because of fear of catching COVID. Now you hear about hospitals and nursing homes being short of staff members and that patients slash clients are suffering because of this. How does a nurse or healthcare worker deal with the guilt? Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for your question. Uh, so this is, this is a tough one. And I think um, the guilt that people are feeling especially people in the helping professions right now as far as going out to do your job choosing to stay at home um, just trying to make sense of everything and what's best for you personally and you and your family and that guilt that you might feel whether it's completely internal whether you're feeling pressure from your boss or your co-workers of like why aren't you coming in Um, That's very real. We are in a global pandemic, right? And so the decisions that we're having to make are tough. And they might be decisions that we haven't had to make before. Um, So I think to start to answer your question, you got to start by acknowledging your role and your ability versus your inability to help. 
right so of course if it's up to the company the organization the job they will work you absolutely to death they don't care that you have kids at home they don't care about your health they don't care that you're putting yourself at risk they need you to come to work and do your job period and if we're being honest about it if you die off tomorrow they will send out maybe a blanket email that says this person's got it move along and call the next person on the list to come in like that's how cold it is out there especially right now it's abundantly clear um, so have an understanding of your role and really what you actually signed up for I think it's one thing if you're a police officer or a firefighter or in the military, like certain positions where you sign your name on the dotted line, knowing that there's a possibility, if we're bringing Frank, that you might not come home. And so in the face of danger, knowing you're a first responder, knowing that you're the person who's not going to run away from danger, but you're going to run to it to help putting your life at risk each day i think as a nursing home worker that's not quite what you think about when you sign up for a job like that when you sign up for that and saw that position on like craigslist or something indeed you didn't go mm, you know what like i'm gonna do this job um i might have to risk my life but i'm gonna do it anyway i don't believe that should be within your job description um, I think while there's always heroes of the story who maybe they do choose to go in in the midst of a pandemic and they're able to really be there and help their clients, that's awesome for them. But what we're in right now brings us all back to pure survival mode. And no one can be blamed for wanting to live and wanting to be healthy and being there for the people that you love because keeping in mind this thing runs deep and so not only are you sacrificing yourself to be there for your clients but then if you choose to come back home what you might bring home uh, to your loved ones or the opposite if you're working with a very at-risk frail population and you leave and go into the world and go to Walmart to get groceries and you're with your kids and blah 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 who knows what you're exposed to and what you might be carrying and then you bring it into the workplace and spread it so is that doing more harm or more good right there's so much that we don't know about this virus and so it's hard to say but you do know you're not spreading it and you do know that your risk is lower and you're able to be there for yourself and your family if you stay home. And so being able to think about these things and also recognize that you can't help others if you don't help yourself first. And so it's like the airplane emergency masks concept. You put your mask on in an emergency before you put on anyone else's because you're not gonna be able to help anyone if you die and if you can't breathe right and so keeping that in mind that if you start feeling sick and you have the symptoms you can't do your work and you've already exposed who knows how many people before you even start experiencing symptoms so these are things to keep telling yourself because it you can feel guilty and you can see your coworkers who might have chosen to still go in and 
or you have like a boss or an organization who's telling you to come in and pulling at your heartstrings and they play on that they do as a person who's in a helping field they play on that they play on your compassion they they um play on your passion for wanting to help others as a reason as to why you should work yourself to the bone and it's simply it's wrong we we've got to learn as helpers when to when to draw that line for ourselves and recognize like you know what it's time for me to choose me first like there's been plenty of times where i'm choosing my clients my job and things like that but when it comes to life or death i'm gonna choose me first and you can't make me feel bad about it it's an unfortunate situation this whole this whole scenario is unfortunate but you truly do have to go back to self and do what you need to do and not let anyone make you feel guilty about that. Um, and so just some things to consider with this scenario would be asking yourself, is this job or my clients worth my life? Um, this is something that I've, I've dealt with, with this whole shelter in place and my job while I'm, I'm doing it from home now um it's more ideal in person and i had to ask myself like you know what i am passionate about mental health i care about my clients deeply i absolutely love what i do and also this is not worth my life so we're gonna have to figure something else out um another thing to consider is if i do continue to work and serve clients at this time what are the risks and what are the benefits um, if you're at a point in your life where you do just solely want to be there and support um, and you don't have people depending on you or whatever have you and that really is your lifeline is your job at this point in your life then hey maybe that maybe it's worth it for you but if you have a family to think about kids to think about yourself to think about that's something to weigh out too so really weigh those things out for yourself so that you can feel more confident in your decision and the guilt can reduce uh, another thing to consider is or another thing to tell yourself is i'm doing what i must to survive and remain healthy and so when you start to feel that sense of guilt coming on reciting that to yourself and keep keep going and keep reciting it to yourself i am doing what i must to survive and remain healthy. I don't know who could blame you for that. Also, understand that the guilt might still be there. The things that I'm telling you, once you say it, it's not like poof, oh, I'm not guilty anymore, F that job. Absolutely not. You probably still will feel guilty and that's a sign that you care for your clients, which is awesome. Um, and so understand that the guilt might still be there and that's okay. This is a very shitty, confusing situation. We're having to make tough decisions, decisions we didn't think we'd have to make all the time now. And so it's okay to acknowledge that. Just make sure whatever decision you make is one that you're satisfied with at the end of the day. That's all that matters. And so you can have people's thoughts or opinions or pressures or whatever. But if you can sleep at night knowing that you absolutely made the decision that you had to for yourself and that makes the most sense for you and that you're okay with and you're satisfied with, then there you go. Point blank. That's it. And by doing that, that can help reduce or ease the guilt. Um, because you it's just not something to carry around, especially after 
you've made the decision. And so from the sounds of the question, um, it sounds like people have already made the decision to stay home from work or they're going back and forth. If you've already made the decision, there's really no point in carrying around that guilt. And so now you're just letting that harbor in your body, which isn't healthy. And so you have to go to the acceptance part of like, yeah, I feel bad. And also this is the decision that I made. So I might as well, I'm at home, I'm not going to work. I might as well enjoy it and just accept it for what it is. That guilt does nothing for you. If you're staying home, you feeling bad about it, isn't helping take care of the clients any more than if you don't feel bad about it because either way your ass ain't there so you might as well just get to that point of just accepting what you chose to do acknowledge why you chose to do it and and deem that as worthy enough important enough i I think in in the midst of life or death yeah i'd say that's a pretty important reason to stay home right now okay so i hope that helped and we're gonna go right into our next question Okay, so our next question is, what is the medical term for cabin fever when a person is restless from staying in the house? I think this is an excellent question because this is some of what many of us are feeling right now, me included. So I had to look this one up. I'm going to be honest. And it looks like there's not an official or formal medical term for cabin fever even though the phenomenon is definitely widely recognized as something that happens it looks like there's not like an official term for it for those of you who do not know cabin fever is something that occurs when you've been in the house for too long and so most commonly we think about it in the winter time where it's super snowy, crappy outside. There's really nothing for you to do but to stay in the house, limited sunlight and things like that. And so you start to just get extremely just agitated and restless and bored and um, you can get sad. It can be all of those things. It's mainly just like extreme just restlessness of like, I am going to lose it. I need to get out of the house. I need to go do something like this is just sad and boring. And so that's kind of the idea of cabin fever. Um, And so as I said, some common symptoms for this is like restlessness, boredom, hopelessness, difficult concentrating. Uh, Just as people, I know I can speak on the psychology side of things. We as humans, we have a need to belong. And so along with like, needing food, water, shelter, safety, trust. We have a very strong need to belong with each other, within a group, a community, a culture, something. Um, And so we very rarely can we really make it absolutely totally isolated on our own. We need each other. We need social interaction, human interaction. We just need that. And so the fact that that has been reduced significantly right now, um, and it's perceived as like forcibly, you know, by the government, it's tough. It is tough. And many of us are feeling that cabin fever, which can be dangerous because it can lead to decisions that aren't safe or or are not healthy. It's important to recognize when you're feeling that way and find a way 
to reduce it and so I know for me when I am feeling like okay like this is my fifth meeting today I haven't moved from my chair I'm still in the house like I need to go do something that's when like I'll go for a walk or we'll have the windows open let fresh air come in um, or maybe it is time to go for that grocery run so that you are outside um, I mean personally I'm extremely introverted and so I've found and going to the grocery store has been stressful and I'm vegan so that's been stressful too trying to find food out here but and so I've found at least for me that once I've gone out and done the shopping I'm like good on people surprisingly for a while I'm like mm, yep <clears throat> I'm good for another week to stay at home but for those of you who are extroverted, I know that this time is extremely hard for you all. Um, and so making as many virtual connections as you can. Is it the same as in person? Absolutely not. But it gives you that understanding that you're not alone and it allows for that social connection. And it can either be through phone. Of course, ideal would be video chat so that you're able to see the person and kind of feel their energy through uh, your device. And that can help at least with some of that. And it has you connecting with people outside of the home. Um, if you're living with other people and quarantining with other people right now. And setting up those Zoom calls, Skype calls to your friends, to your coworkers, just maintaining all of that. I found that with my job, not only do you need to have those formal meetings and getting your projects done and stuff, but that like water cooler talk just the shooting the shit with your coworkers and stuff that needs to happen too that's a part of our jobs also and it helps you get through it and so taking the time to call that favorite coworker of yours just to talk about the job or whatever you usually talk about really can help throughout your work day and then also setting up those virtual um, setting up those virtual social times with your friends and your loved ones, family, that can help reduce the cabin fever also. And just getting outside, you know, when it's reasonable, when the weather's acting right, getting outside, really being mindful, taking in the fresh air, taking in the sunlight. It's spring. We're getting nicer weather. I'm just really soaking all of that in can help with cabin fever okay but to answer the question directly uh, there's not a formal medical term for cabin fever next question uh, let me pull this up okay so the next question is is there a healthy way to argue with your significant other while stuck in the house this is a big one I think um, whether it's your significant other children your mama your grandmama whoever is in the house with you right now could get it anytime any place on site we're all going through it um and we all deal with stress differently and because most of us are experiencing a global trauma um, and a global stressor we all get to see how each other deal with high stress all at the same time uh, which is perfect for uh, family conflict, interpersonal conflict. It's uh, wonderful. So to answer the question, there's definitely healthy ways to argue with your significant other while you're stuck in the house together right now. To start off, just things to consider. Get to the root of the issue 
and recognize the difference between petty bickering versus a serious issue. There's going to be a, a good percentage of arguments during this time that's happening only because both of you are in the same space and have been in the same space day in and day out and day in and day out and you're just irritated or you're tired or you're scared or you're concerned or you're bored who knows and because of that now you're going back and forth the way that person used to breathe was cute now that shit's not cute no more it's annoying as fuck and i got something to say about it because i'm irritated about either that or something else having enough self-awareness to understand when you're not being yourself or when you're just feeling more emotional or um when you know you're just arguing just to argue you know that you just need a little space apart recognize the difference between that versus an actual serious issue um, that needs to be thoroughly discussed and worked through you know that can save a lot of time and energy another thing take breaks absolutely take breaks the worst thing that i see that i hear about that you see on tv you see the couple who has this intense argument one partner is trying to leave take a step back just take a break and the other partner follows them that is one of the worst things that you can do um, when things are getting heated and it's going to that next level and somebody wants to take a pause, someone needs to take a pause, that's important because you're running off pure emotion at that point. It could be anger, rage, disappointment, any of that. You don't want to keep fighting in the midst of that because that's when you can hit below the belt, which takes me to my next point of don't hit below the belt in a way to not do that is to take a break whether it's 10 minutes 20 minutes so you can cool off think about what's going on and come back together we do that to kids all the time right you need to think about what you've done go to timeout well we need to put ourselves in timeout <laughs> okay um if we really want to maintain these relationships and so going back to what i said about hitting below the belt don't do it always keep focus and keep in mind that it's both of you against the problem, not each other. So as soon as somebody is personally attacking the other person, stop. Stop. That's that's when it's time to take that break, refocus, regroup. Because it's not. This isn't a time to go back and forth on each other and attack each other. This is a time to come together and attack the problem, whatever that might be. Also, keep in mind the five to one ratio. And so the like relationship researchers have deemed the five to one ratio uh, to be what's necessary to maintain a stable, happy, satisfying relationship. So what this is, is for every one negative interaction between the couple, there needs to be at least five positive ones to kind of maintain equilibrium. It's interesting, right? You would think it'd be one-to-one, -one, but it's not uh, because we as humans like to hold in any negative emotions and dismiss positive ones. Um, and we love to hold grudges and all sorts of things like that. And so you need five positive interactions to counteract just one negative one. And so once you do get out of that fight or that bickering, think about that. 
Um, and so keeping in mind love languages, what's your partner's love language, how can you speak that language to them, um, and also feelings. Talk about them. There is so much that we are feeling right now, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, and that impacts our daily functioning, how we're working, how we're seeing the world, and us within our relationships. And so start really having real conversations about your fears, irritation, confusion, anxiety, sadness, grief. Um, talk about those things, because the more that you actually talk and express yourself with the tougher emotions, you'll see that the amount of times that you bicker or that you argue will reduce because you're hitting on those key emotions that would cause those arguments to um, arise typically. To the next question, is it appropriate to tell your friends details about your relationship when asking them for advice? Okay, so I think this is a really good question um it's i think this can get so messy so easily depending on the people who are involved um, but i say first have an understanding with the person that you're in a relationship with set those boundaries because every relationship is different and so there's some people who are open and both partners are very open it's clear they might share the same friends like you you just never know um, and so they both might be feel comfortable getting that outside opinion and that advice in a very open and detailed way to where it doesn't bother both parties because they 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 both ascribe to that on the opposite end of that you two might be very private and so when you do choose to let someone in and seek that advice, it is important to decide what to disclose and what not to disclose. Or it could be anywhere in between there. So what's most important is this, is establishing that up front with the person that you're with. Like, okay, if I want to go to my mom for advice or my best friend for advice and talk about my relationships, what are safe topics, what are not? What makes sense to talk to other people about, what doesn't? Um, if you're in a well-functioning relationship, a decent, stable, mature relationship, then you should be able to have that conversation and have that understanding. And again, that's if you're in a healthy, stable relationship. I think as far as relationships that are extremely unhealthy or toxic, you do want outside, outside opinion. I encourage you to get that. And so if you're a victim of like domestic violence or you're being manipulated and isolated uh, by your partner, then that is very important that you're seeking that outside help, that that person, that girlfriend to come in and be like, mm, like some don't sound right here. Like this ain't this ain't checking out. Like you don't seem the same. You're not acting the same. You seem more sad, more down. What's really going on? Like you need that and so it really does depend on the relationship uh, but if it seems like it's decent it's functioning it's okay and you're just needing advice here and there like we all do um, then you have that conversation with your significant others of like what boundaries need to be set when consulting others and also know who to go to about your issues Obviously, I'm going to plug therapy. This is a mental health podcast. I am a therapist. 
but that's just a, a surefire way that you are expressing yourself and getting the thoughts and feedback of somebody who's a third party, but also confidentiality, unbiased, don't know you, don't know your partner. Um, so that's a very easy way to kind of get that help. Uh, at the same time, if you are going to friends and family, just know who you're going to. If you're going to that frenemy who's always been jealous of you, always been jealous of you in your relationship, no, I wouldn't go to that person. If you if you know you've got that friend who they say they're happy for you, but mm, you always kind of question their loyalty, no, I wouldn't go to that friend. Um, and if you know that you've got some real like ride or die, they only want the best for you, they've always, only wanted the best for you you've known them for years they've helped you through some shit and they tell you when you fucked up that's the person that you need who will give you both sides if you go to the person who will only sing your praises only that's not the person you want to go to because you're not at that point you're not looking for no advice you're looking for a cheering section you're just looking to get validated on your end for somebody to go oh girl or yeah man like you right and that's not what this should be about. And if that is what it's about, mm -mm, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And there's no reason for you to be going to that person if you're not actually looking for real feedback and real criticism of like, okay, like I see his point and I see your point and this is what, you know, this is what can be done. This is what I've done or whatever have you. But also if you have that friend who is chronically single always been single don't need a man ain't never gotta have a man and why are you with that man and doing all this and blah 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 you don't want to go to that person if you know that your goal is to figure things out so that you can get back to your significant other and not repel away from that person don't go to anybody who their personal goal and intention is to break you guys apart that doesn't make sense right and so you want to go to the person who has the same goal for yourself as you do for yourself, which is for you to be happy and healthy. And if that person makes you happy and healthy, they're going to help lead you back to them if it makes sense. And if it's unhealthy, then they're going to be honest with you and tell you that as well. And it'll be rooted in genuineness and actual care for you uh, so that's my answer to that question next we have how do you navigate dealing with your significant others work relationships with members of the opposite sex i had to sip my tea for this one okay so uh this there's so much that can go into this. Um, I think it's a big difference being able to navigate this on the more preventative ends of things with just setting boundaries in general in your relationships versus some shit then happened after the fact. And if somebody like cheated with someone from work before and you're trying to navigate that at that point, well, that's a little more complex, right? Um, and so, but to just take the question for what it is, ways to navigate your significant other's work relationships with members of the opposite sex or, which I'm assuming would be for heterosexual couples or just 
of the same sex, just the sex that you're attracted to. Okay. Again, we're, we're setting boundaries. You got to set boundaries um, in general when it comes to work, just that work-life balance. And so discussing appropriate hours to be working. If, if as me as a woman, if I have a male coworker who's trying to work with me at all hours of the night, on the weekends, while we're away on a conference and things like that, that's not going to cut it. Um, and so setting those boundaries of I will talk to you about work during work hours and then after that like I need to be with my spouse my partner my kids my family um, making that setting that precedence that I we are we're connected through work <laughs> if it's not about work then like I don't want to hear it um, also talking openly with your partner about work and your coworkers so that they feel in the loop. I think any time that there's some sort of sense of like secrecy or just mystery, our heads go to the worst possible place. Um, and so if there's no issue, there's nothing to hide, be open about that. De-stress after work. Let your partner know the major players. Um, so that they feel involved and that they feel like they have an understanding or at least have heard of the different people at work so that when you introduce them to people that you work closely with to do projects and things, they already know who that person is. It's not like a, mm, like you've been working with this person this closely and you've never mentioned their name once. Like now my flags are raised. Um, and so and doing that to the best of your abilities like i know like with my job there's a lot of confidentiality so obviously i'm not like giving too much but there isn't when it comes to my coworkers, right so i'm able to talk about those people freely um also examine if the relationship is strictly work related or if it's becoming more personal the two worlds can intertwine when you're spending at least eight hours a day, 40 hours a week plus with people. It's hard to just talk about work, right? You talk about world events, your families, who knows what comes up. Um, and you can grow bonds and connect with your coworkers, which is fine. But you want to be careful, especially if it's a, if it's with the sex that you're attracted to um, or could be attracted to. And so paying attention to that, like, okay, are we barely working anymore and only talking about our lives? And am I letting them in about like intimate details about my life? And because that can be very, very a muggy, tricky area. Um, and so if it's to the point where you feel like you need to talk to this person at work instead of the person that you're with, that's a concern and so recognizing that and going to your partner about this and being honest so that it can be worked through is important um, also which leads me to trust and communication discuss the jealousy that you might be feeling the fears that you might be feeling we don't like to have these conversations but we need to start having them of like I know this sounds crazy but I see the way that he looks at you I see the way that she looks at you I can tell what's going on here. Well, I think, help help me clear this up and have that conversation so that no one's blindsided if things really do go um, awry. OK, 
Hey, these are some good questions. Woo. Y'all got me working hard. Okay, so I think I'm to my last one. Oh, snap. All right. So for our last question for today, how do you differentiate between intuition in a relationship versus being controlled by fear? So I had to really try to think about this one because the two can look and feel the same and we can convince ourselves that our fears that hold us back we can say that that's our intuition and use it as a reason to not go forward which is detrimental to our growth and all that this world has for us and so things to consider for this question the two can look extremely similar keeping in mind that the intuition uh, that intuition is that gut feeling that you have about something that's it's pretty much what keeps you alive like you have that little like you don't have all the understanding or the facts just yet logically but your gut is telling you like mm, don't go down that street turn the other way or oh no you don't you don't want to get into your car today maybe maybe take the bus or walk um and then lo and behold, you hear that something happened and you're like, oh shit, like that could have been me. Um, that's your intuition. It can be. Um, so keep it in mind that that can be, it can be uh, positive or negative. And so a lot of times when we talk about your intuition or women's intuition, even though we all have it, um, you think of it in the sense that I just said, like there's danger. You didn't know the details, but you knew you just shouldn't, you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't go there. You shouldn't go to that party. You shouldn't, and you don't, and you make it through something or don't experience something. You saved yourself, right? But intuition can also be telling you when something is good, when something is great, or when you need to acknowledge someone or check in on someone, um, or you can have a good feeling about something like you know what I just think this is a great opportunity for me I just think this is a great person for me like I have a good feeling about this I should move forward um, and so when it comes to intuition it can be either or really whereas with fear um, it's just fear like if it's and it's a way to protect ourselves and so absolutely fear is important if you're faced by a big ass grizzly bear and you need to protect yourself um that makes sense that your body responds that way but when we're talking about that fear that holds us back keeps us stagnant keeps us quiet um and keeps us from moving forward that's the fear that we need to be mindful of um so also keeping in mind that intuition can come from a place of love or fear and so it takes a level of self-awareness to be able to decipher which is which so you've really got to know yourself um, we typically carry around that same set of fears that we've developed for it could be a number of reasons whether it's our upbringing what things have said about what people have said about us what we think about ourselves it could be for any number of reasons but we tend to have those same core certain core beliefs certain fears that we really hold on to that we have to work through and so some of the most common ones are fear of rejection 
fear of abandonment, fear of not being good enough, fear of the unknown, fear of commitment, fear of getting hurt, and that fear of not being lovable. You got to know which ones come up for you the most often and why, because odds are it's not your intuition that you're fear talking. And so if you grew up in a household where um, everyone shitted on you, your parents shitted on you, your siblings shitted on you, everyone said you ain't shit, you ain't never going to be shit. And that was the tape and that is the tape that's playing or mp3 whatever maybe it's old to say tape but (laughs) that's running in your mind constantly then odds are you're going to carry around that fear of of not being good enough and you know well if you have the self-awareness you know that that's something that you're holding on to and so within your relationships it's going to be there that fear is going to be there if it hasn't been worked through it's right there And so recognizing when that is just your fear talking that has been there, then you know it's been there, versus actual intuition, what is my gut trying to tell me? And so ways to help strengthen this is um, doing that self-awareness work. So self-reflection, journaling, therapy, seeking a higher understanding of yourself helps you learn what your triggers are, what your fears are, your core beliefs, and you have an understanding of that on the intuition side that that really is more spiritual spiritual not religious and so ways to really hone in on that and have an understanding of it is through like prayer meditation stillness basically within yourself so that you do learn the difference and you know what's your intuition and what's your fear and have an understanding that if it's coming is it coming out of a place of love or just pure fear and so you know deep down when something's good for you and you know deep down when something's bad for you you just have to listen to that voice you have to listen to that thing i hope that was helpful thank you everyone for listening please keep the questions coming follow me on social media all things mental health and black on facebook instagram twitter um we got a gmail hit me up give me your thoughts questions comments Uh, so our next episode will be june 2nd i'll uh, see you guys then peace love and therapy